Poof! Sploosh! Shoop! These are great automatopias. Sprawling. Poof! I don't even remember. I think that's for the, uh... Is that for the, the, the weird, like, uh, javelin fish that uh, Visser 3 becomes? Yes. Poof. Waiting for a break in the rain Waiting for the moment to change your lane I came home from the wasteland Heroic and triumphant like a comic book girl Created out of nothing like a comic book girl Hey! Let's get on into it. Hello everyone, welcome again to class. We are here now. I have returned from the depths of both illness and mental fatigue. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop doting on you and bring you ice cream, though, just because I, I, but I'm going to just do it now because just because I think you're neat. And just wondering, who are these two darling lovebirds? I'm Brad. I use they and he pronouns. I'm Parker. I use she, her, and I actually don't have a fun fact prepared this week. My name is Cassandra Kelly. I use she, her pronouns. And my very topical fun fact this week is that I've recently discovered I am moderately allergic to white mulberries, not unripe mulberries. Having a bad reaction to ingesting unripe mulberries is a normal thing for a human body to do. Ripe but white mulberries I am allergic to. Are you sure it's not a rubus, though? I mean, no, it's a completely different, and it's actually the red or black mulberries that have rubus in the scientific name. I mostly just said that to get your goat, because... I know. Yeah, okay. I know. All right. I'm aware. Okay. Uh, so, okay, cool. Excellent. I think this is it. I think Erso is indisposed. I think she's got something else going on. I think the something else is her girlfriend. Maybe the something else is her girlfriend. Ooh. I don't know. We love to rest Gross, a, a girlfriend. girlfriend. Girls are icky. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So this week we read Animals, volume 12, The Reaction which is narrated by Rachel. This one was pretty wild. I'm always shocked by, like, every time I finish one of these journals, I'm like, oh man, this one was bonkers. The next one can't possibly be as bonkers. And then it always is. Yeah, like the next volume introduces a whole new element that wasn't even on the table before. Cassandra, you've got a synopsis for us this week? Yes. So the synopsis of the reaction um, is like, Parker said it's narrated by Rachel. Rachel and Cassie go to the zoo and a boy falls into the crocodile pit at the zoo because they have poor safety protocols, I guess. So Rachel jumps in to rescue him and morphs a crocodile in the process. And then a few days later, the Animorphs find out that a teen heartthrob, Jeremy Jason McColl. Jeremy Jason McColl? <laughs> He's going to become a new spokesman for the sharing, and all of the male Animorphs pretty much are just like, oh, that's not a big deal. And then Rachel and Cassie are like, no, it's a big deal. Every single teenage girl is going to join the sharing. So then Rachel that night finds herself morphing without meaning to into a crocodile. Then um, eventually she turns into an elephant and crashes through her house and collapses her house. Everyone's fine. Um, but they can't live in their house anymore. 
So Rachel's dad was already headed into town because of the crocodile pit thing, so she goes and stays with him in the hotel, and she decides to go on a talk show to meet Jeremy Jason McColl. So they go spy blah, 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 blah. Rachel doesn't tell anyone what's wrong. So once she finally turns into a crocodile in front of everyone, Axe figures out what's wrong and um, says she's allergic to crocodile DNA and she needs to expel, sort of burp the DNA out of her body. So Jake tells Rachel she can't go on the mission until she fixes it. So she lies because of course it's Rachel. She lies about it and says that it happened overnight and it's fine. So then on the show, um, the actual burping process begins. Rachel burps the crocodile, but it turns out that burping crocodile DNA gives you just a whole nother crocodile. So there's a crocodile in the back. <laughs> so then she and Cassie morph trying to fix it. All of them run on stage during the talk show as various animals. Uh, the Yerk tries to escape and Rachel steps on him and kills him. Jeremy Jason McCole is traumatized and retires to Uzbekistan. There you go. Crisis I, averted. I <laughs> just... If you had told me that this was like fan fiction written by like a 10 year old an eight year old even i would be like yeah absolutely just like that plot synopsis <laughs> on the other hand if you told me that that was written by french absurdist playwright eugene unesco i would also believe you. it's definitely it's it's got a a, a sort of absurd quality to it I don't even know where to start. This was the downfall of the career of Bart Jacobs, who was definitely a uh, uh, a kind of prominent member of the exotic animal community. But this this event single handedly kind of destroyed his career. And it's not until much later in history that we got to figure out why that happened. Mm. It's not just Rachel who lies to paper over really awful situations that need to be addressed. Jake does this too. Pretty much everybody lies about something, almost every journal. I don't see this as a phenomenon of kids these days. I don't know if that's because of just, like, changing social relations. I mean, obviously it's been a hundred years of history, so, like, a lot has changed and, like, the culture has changed a lot. But, like, I, I don't see kids just, like, lying to their friends about, like, big stuff like this as often anymore i don't know but also like most of the people i know are queer so like that might have something to do with it why do they keep doing this i don't know um i mean maybe part of it is just that their kids a number of them are coming from mildly to severely dysfunctional backgrounds and that doesn't teach you very good communication skills and perhaps that was part of the Rather than it being part of the youth culture, it was part of a parenting culture of the era of not fostering good communication through mm -hmm. a punishment-based parenting system. Even if the consequences from their friends might not be actually that bad, they're sort of primed to any bad behavior, keep quiet, especially from Jake, who is sort of surrogate authority figure. This is a good point, but I don't think that we see a lot of that sort of punishment forward or punishment primary parenting mode in these particular families. Like, it seems like each of the Animorphs has, like, a relatively nourishing family, except for Tobias, who seems to be the member of the team who communicates the best overall. I think almost all of them have sort of more like quietly dysfunctional families. Hmm. So like up until recently, Jake's family was pretty good and healthy, but now he is yes. at all times living with the enemy. Rachel's parents are like tense, but able to have a conversation. But even if it was 
the best divorce in the world, that's still got to be kind of traumatizing. Marco's dad needed Marco to take care of him for like a year or two, um, and Marco's mother died traumatically, and then even worse, he found out she's not dead, she's the enemy. Axe grew up in his brother's shadow with everyone caring more about his brother than they did about him. Tobias, obviously terrible. Terrible. And Cassie's the only one who has a good family. Yeah, even though it doesn't seem like you've got a lot of like, quote unquote, nasty sort of punishment sort of parents. Uh, yeah, no, you're you're entirely correct that each of these kids comes from a highly volatile uh, or at least a usual situation. So. Yeah, I guess what I'm sort of positing is that it's so normal that if they were writing these at the time in the same era, it would be so normal that it would not be remarked upon. And mm, mm-hmm. even if their mm. own parents did not actually carry out severe punishment, it's just in the culture that you hide things from authority figures because of what being an authority figure meant at the time and how power dynamics were normalized. At the beginning of chapter six, Jake and Marco and Tobias are all kind of like commiserating about who's this Jeremy Jason McCole kid? He's not anybody important. I think the athletes that they each mentioned as sort of like their notions of like what an important famous person is are really interesting, but I don't know enough about sports to really get into it. I need like a Boisean analysis of these sports figures. Jake mentions Michael Jordan. Marco mentions Brett Favre. Tobias mentions Wayne Gretzky. These are three different athletes from three different sports. And I think I know more about Michael Jordan and Brett Favre than I do about Wayne Gretzky because I'm not, I don't follow hockey. Uh, I don't follow any of these. I, I was going to say, I have this vague instinct that Wayne Gretzky was a hockey player, maybe. And yes. I'm very surprised that I was right because I'm not a sports person. No, you're correct about that. I think it's interesting that Tobias is a hockey kid. I don't know what that says about him because I don't know enough about sports. I, I need... In my experience from the hockey people I know, it means very simply gay. Do you say gay? Everyone I know who is into hockey is gay. So I don't have a lot to say about that, but I think that the, the people that they picked are, are very indicative of, of some things that are, like, there but are just below the surface. I need to do more research, basically. Rachel, stop hiding things from your friends, slash, stop acting like the tough one to the detriment of your mental health. She keeps doing it. Jake keeps doing it. I think it's a thing that kids, when they are given responsibilities that are really big, want to prove themselves and want to feel confident in the fact that they've got it and are not as able to assess the risks uh, and not as able to sort of like get a, a better sort of like wider, broader, more objective understanding of what's going on. And so they're just like, no, I can take it. I can handle it. I'm good. I've got it. So hopefully they, hopefully they learn from this encounter, from this whole, this whole escapade. There's no other word for it. <laughs> it's kind of a hijink. It's a, it's absolutely a hijink, but it's a hijink that almost gets people killed. To be fair, all of these journals are about hijinks that almost get people killed, pretty much. This is just especially hijinky. Brad, you've got some thoughts about how just completely absurd with a capital A this is. Mm-hmm. Do you have things to mention there? Yes. I mean, Rhinoceros has from the beginning been a play that is on my mind when you think about morphing and when you think about political change around morphing. Rhinoceros is a French absurdist play from post-World War II. The absurdist movement was started in France. So we're going to put on our comparative literature hat. Comparative literature hat because that's how I know how to look at a book at all. The basic plot of Rhinoceros is in this uh, small village in France. People start turning into rhinoceroses um, and it is treated completely blasé. Nobody is 
acknowledging that it is happening at first, and then when it becomes over, people will argue about, well, are they technically rhinoceroses? What kind of rhinoceros are they? And it becomes so normalized that then the one person who is like trying to be like, people are turning into rhinoceroses. This is absolutely, this is before anybody knew that morphing was a thing at all, obviously on the planet Earth. And eventually everyone but this man is a rhinoceros. I cannot actually remember how it ends, um, but it is a very clear metaphor because that's how absurdism sort of worked is it went against sort of the naturalism way of making theater where you try to make things realistic and you try to make things emotionally affecting, whereas it sacrificed that for this dark comedy and this like unrealism to create clear political messages. And so turning into a rhinoceros is a metaphor for joining fascism and the insidious rise of fascism and how not addressing it just leads to it spreading. How did this, this like, intentionally unreal, intentionally absurd piece of grotesque fiction in theater, how did you draw parallels between that and this work, which is ostensibly just a record of things that actually happened? I mean, I think from a just completely outside perspective, the fact that the morphing itself is considered so normal by them, Rachel's just suppression of emotion, as far as the pacing of the journal itself, the like piled one on top of the other, the things that are going wrong, the things that are absurd, the more animals, the fact that, okay, now we're in a studio, we're being seen by tons of people and she's turning into an elephant and oh no, now, now there's a crocodile coming out of her back, like totally unexpected. And the fact that the whole thing is an allergy, sort of connecting of the such mundane thing to this incredibly grotesque and absurd and just big dramatic process of uncontrollably turning into other animals and then also birthing a full adult crocodile from your body. <laughs> You know, isn't that what your allergies are like? That's what mine are like, <laughs> you know? It's just one thing piled on top of another. At least with the Inesco, at least with the rhinoceros, we have the sort of certainty that it all means something. <laughs> Here's the I want to talk real quick about uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12, which are the bit where R Rachel gets called into Chapman's office Ooh. and Chapman starts manipulating her or attempting to manipulate her and attempting to get her to join the sharing and attempts to sort of like leverage some of her personal details against her slash in a way that sort of tries to put her in a position of weakness. And he's just acting like a huge creep. God, I really, I was sitting there just like, I feel like I need to be giving Rachel like a lecture about like, you know, if an adult says this to you or tries to do this to you, you need to go to a responsible adult you trust and tell them right away. But there aren't but she any. she doesn't have any responsible adults she can trust. There aren't any responsible adults in this situation. Like, oh God, it's like Rachel's experience here is absolutely uh, like, the nightmare scenario writ large. Like, I've had nightmares about more or less this exact situation. And then, to make matters worse, she starts morphing into bear form reflexively, which, honestly, I'm like, yeah, that's a proportional response to this situation. Like, <laughs> destroy this terrible puny man who's trying to be gross to you. And she has to pass off her, her big furry bear feet as, uh, I believe they were called Uggs? 
the furry boots. <laughs> yeah. You know, she she has those apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. Her description was uh sort of sort of put to song and uh immortalized through I don't actually know verse. I don't know about who did those that 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 particular apple bottom Me jeans boots with the fur. Uh, but I did have to do a dance to it one time for a throwback dance unit in PE class. I kicked butt. Uh, yeah, she manages to be like, oh, you like my new boots? And... Very smooth. Very smooth! I just... Nobody should have to deal with this. Yeah. Somebody give these kids a break. Like, honestly, they need to find a deserted island where they could just go on vacation for a little while and, like, I don't know, Axe could, like, build a robot that's like, hello, I am parent bot. Similarly, in that sort of similar, like, creepy, like, I'm this authority figure and I'm going to hold something over you that, uh, that I'm going to use to manipulate you, we have chapter 15 where we hear trying to coax Jeremy Jason McCole into joining the sharing. It's very much kind of what we've always suspected slash known about the, the wealthy and elite of the world in that they just operate on a cult mentality that's very different from normal people, quote-unquote. I could give you things you want. Everything. Money. Power. Uh, it's like... Visser 3's leading into the megalomania a little bit, but he's doing so in the body of, like, a, a dumpy TV producer man. Um, <laughs> and Jeremy Jason McCole is just slurping it up like a whole bunch of York spaghetti. And Rachel is powerfully disillusioned with him at this time, and I think that's very good of her. She's very smart. Unfortunately, that does cause her to have an emotional crisis and trigger her allergy, yeah, which and- turns her into <laughs> an elephant, which is not a creature <laughs> that necessarily is... Uh, made to survive in either the air or the ocean. Yeah, it's a bad sitch. Elephants can swim, though. But the ocean... But should they? So Axe says a, little trans- a literal translation would be something like burping DNA. Now that's poetry, Marco said, laughing. Since we don't have mouths <laughs> or have, and, and we don't have phrases like spitting out or vomiting up, hereth is what we say instead. Yeah, you don't have mouths, which means do you burp? Do you do antelites burp out their hooves? They gotta. Um... They must. I don't like what? They, 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 I'm sure that they ingest air by accident, like any of us, Like, and then accident. have to expel that air. That, oh man, being an antelope must be very weird. I, that just really, I, I, that was kind of a bit of fringe logic where I was like, hold up, yeah, you don't have spitting and vomiting, but you have burping? Like, you need... Typically, you need a mouth for that. Anyway. Oh, but it's not actually burping. It's just extruding an entire crocodile out of yeah. your body. It, it could also be just a translation thing where, like, he has, probably because of Marco, learned of the human bodily function of burping and is explaining <laughs> Probably because things. of Marco. <laughs> Almost certainly because of Marco. I, this is just more absurd. Marco coming in as a talking llama just feels like something out of waiting for Godot. <laughs> like, that just feels like something that would happen. Cassie does a great job of impersonating Rachel in a Rachel morph. If you if you had to morph a friend of yours, which of your friends do you think you could morph for the longest without anybody without anybody suspecting you? I don't know, because the thing is, I'm a nerd with deeply esoteric interests, and all of my friends are nerds with deeply esoteric interests, which all of us love to talk about at great length right. at any given opportunity. So I feel like any friend that I try to impersonate it would be really weird that I was not, like, at the drop of a hat talking about some weird stuff that they love. 
like, I don't know, Bionicles or something. But you have different esoteric interests from all of your other friends with esoteric interests, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All of right. our esoteric interests are very different. So, like, somebody's like, oh, I, um, wait, but I thought you knew everything about Goat Rodeo. And you're like, oh, I've never been to a Goat Rodeo in my life. Oh, yes, I know everything about the, the, the Goat Lasso and, uh... And, and the, the goat balancing situation, it's like you have to pass that off. That seems difficult. Yeah. I also don't really have a good answer for this question because my, my knowledge base and my sort of affect are relatively unique amongst people I know, I think. Who do you think of your friends could, or do you think anybody could pass off as you? Ooh, good question. I feel like they just need to shout plant facts and have loud opinions and no one would notice the difference. I feel like my friend Sean could reasonably imitate me for a period of time. I feel like... My friend Marina could do a decent impression of me if she, like, did some research first <laughs> on some, like, plant facts to just drop at the drop of a hat. Plant facts. Or, you know, my friend Sam has heard enough of my, like, really weird esoteric rants that if he can just remember one of my weird esoteric rants, like, well enough to reproduce it, he could maybe pull that off. But I don't think that he would be good at actually, like imitating my physical presence he could just imitate some of my knowledge base i think mm -hmm. um could we go to the conspiracy theory corner for a moment absolutely <laughs> Parker has pulled up the sort of last chapter of the book where they're, or I guess it's the last two chapters. You've got Cassie as a squirrel, this alligator that was birthed from Rachel. It's crocodile. Crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> and Rachel as a severely injured grizzly bear. And they all walk out onto the stage of this live studio audience be and these film crews where Jeremy Jason McColl is sitting being interviewed and in the sort of the fray the crocodile s sets its eyes on uh, Jeremy Jason McColl and is about to eat him and then something happens and uh oh Axe comes in to save the day and uh takes out the crocodile with his tail after the lights have been cut so nobody could see him. And the yerk pops out of Jeremy Jason McColl's ear, and the slug squelches away until Rachel Ugh. accidentally steps on it as they're leaving. And then, as we find out in the last chapter, Jeremy Jason McColl goes away to Uzbekistan forever and is never heard from again. So, he's dead, right? <laughs> He yeah, was I mean, either... the Yerks yeah. killed everyone else who was a controller. Oh, you're so right. So he either, well, he either was killed by the crocodile and they softened it for the journal um, to make it seem like he just didn't die. Or he was, yes, killed by the Yerks, which, as you say it, I didn't think of that, seems much more likely and almost not even a conspiracy. That's... Yeah, it didn't really, I didn't make the connection until you started saying this, Brad, but yeah. I mean, he wasn't really ever, like, in anything else again that I know of. I mean, like, I can look him up. I think he just disappeared. He's like, he's like on those lists of, like, where are they now, child actors, you know, or where are they now? They're all dead. It's, it's 
plausible that he was able to escape before the Yerks got to him and because as we saw in the conversations we saw him having with with Visser 3 he's not a brave person not someone who's going to come forward for the good of humanity with this knowledge I mean celebrity will only protect you so much yes correct especially when you have an imperialist empire of mind-controlling aliens after you because you know their secret. And you don't even have the advantage of them, like, not knowing who you are, like with, you know, the Animorphs. The Animorphs have the advantage of being anonymous somehow, despite all of their blunders. I think, uh, also, give it, give it our other our, our other segment. Uh, I do have just, like, I don't there there isn't a lot to talk about re-Marco's Masculinity Quarter, but let's go to Marco's Masculinity Quarter. His name is John Marco charges at a crocodile while he's in Lava Morph. He just he just goes for it. He's just like, I'm gonna do the thing. I mean, also the fact that he morphs a lava at all. Uh Marco, I hissed. Who else would be this cute? Check out this fur. Check out this little llama smile on my lava face. This is great. Yes, uh, where's the real llama cows, he whispered. Don't worry, I put him in an empty dressing room. By the way, I saw the schedule. Yeah, no, it's just like, don't worry, I put it in a room and closed the door. <laughs> it's probably why the green room is trashed. Marco continuing to be a jokester, but then also just like leaping into the fray in a fight that he has absolutely 0% hope of winning. Hi, Marco mood here. Yeah. Great, uh, massive Marco comedy hijinks. I was looking through and... Um, going back to something we already talked about with the morphing your friends, I do feel like of all of them, Cassie is definitely one of the better choices because I think Axe has morphed Jake a couple of times and is not at all convincing as Jake. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Cassie is like the most observant of human nature. And I suspect Cassie is by far the best candidate to imitate another Animorph. Yes. So good choice here to have her yeah. be the one to do it. Also because she and Rachel are best friends. I also think Rachel could morph Jake reasonably well. True, true. Yeah. yeah they probably, especially because they know each other's families and stuff because they're related. I think Cassie is also a good choice because she has the least ego of anyone. <laughs> That's She's, true. Because Marco or Jake or Rachel are very apt to refuse to comply with some known part of the other person's personality because it offends them yeah. to the idea mm. of doing that. Absolutely. Like, Jake would definitely not be able to convincingly be Rachel because I'm not convinced that Jake in his current state could perform femininity to save his life. <laughs> Jake couldn't morph Marco because Jake is just not as funny as Marco is. Like, Jake just does not have jokes that can even pretend to land in the way that Marcos pretend to land. Yeah. Marco could not muster the responsibility of being Jake. Just or anyone. Of, or anybody other than himself. I think also Marco, if he morphed anyone, would not be able to resist making Marco-esque jokes. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And that would be a dead giveaway. I do think that Rachel could morph Jake for a little while convincingly, but I don't think she would be able to do it for a long time. Probably not. I think Cassie could imitate pretty much anyone, probably, because like you said, she doesn't have as big of an ego as everyone else. She has a lot more chill and a lot more, like, maturity a lot of the time. Not always. <sighs> I think that might make it difficult for her to morph Marco, though. That's true. Mm. She would. She probably would struggle to morph Marco. The same thing where, like, her brain is just not on planet jokes, so, like, it would be difficult yeah. for her to have, like, quips for every situation, and then people would be like, mm -hmm. I feel I'm feeling pretty good about this one yeah. thus far. 
Um, one thing I assumed that you were going to say in Marco's masculinity quarter is just calling attention to the way that the boys so performatively have to say every terrible possible thing about Jeremy Jason McColl to this reaffirm their masculinity and, and then also their heterosexuality by bringing up Baywatch and <laughs> look, I'm, a, I'm attracted to, to women. Look, look, there's the, that's, uh... That's where my brain is. Even Tobias is like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta just like, uh, nestle myself into the masculinity cave here for a bit and talk about sports and Yasmin Bleeth. I love Axis Resort. Bleeth? Is that a word? <laughs> it's very good. Uh, I also kind of just like, I have no idea who this is. Um, that was yeah, all. I don't either. That was all. But no, that's a great point. Yeah. No one uses fax machines, but call, you'll hear the noise. I do want to talk about one more thing, which is the onomatopoeias in this book. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Here we go again. Like, hold on. I have to open up my document. Oh, God. Go. Activate. Go. Poof! Sploosh! Shoop! These are great onomatopoeias. Sprawling. Poof! I don't even remember. I think that's for the, uh... Is that for the, the, the weird, like, uh, javelin fish that uh, Visser 3 becomes? Yes. Poof. Poof. I was listening to, uh, to it on a, not an audiobook, but screen reader, just because it helps, but an audiobook is, like, too slow. And the audiobook, oh my god, the struggle with the... <laughs> It would just spell out each word. So it would be S-P-W-O-O-O-O-O-S-H and then just continue. Doing its best. <laughs> um, I actually, I did think about this because if you've ever heard the sound of a crocodile's jaws snapping shut, like a really big crocodile specifically, like it does make a really unique, really wild sound that is very hollow and kind of bony, but also just there's a lot of air being moved around. It's a really cool sound. Yeah. So then also one thing that I think, you know, I think this journal really all in all is more than anything else, a lesson about the perils of celebrity and pedestals. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's a really important lesson to internalize, especially in you know the time we have now of social media. Like back then, they didn't have social media, so if a celebrity was uh, showing their ass, as the kids say, it wasn't as easy for them. But nowadays, you know, every other celebrity is saying terrible things about entire groups of people and kind of forgot where I was going with that. But my point is don't worship people. Don't worship people. Don't worship celebrities because then you get sucked into a mind control alien cult. I think in, mm -hmm. in this particular account, it's a little bit of an easier sort of experience for them. There's not as much of like, because Jeremy Jason McCole is very much a collaborator. He's definitely, like, aware of what is going on and consciously is like, yes, I'm going to make this decision and that's just it. And I'm going to, like, he, there's no sort of illusion about the fact that he's betraying humanity or that he's doing this explicitly to, like, further his own personal self. Whereas, like, in more sort of contemporary situations, you've got people who are, like, Oh, I'm like, I don't know. It, it, it becomes more complicated and people don't commit to sort of like 
people work a lot harder to sort of make nice about the awful things that they do and say and uh, like try to sort of equivocate about stuff um, in a way that we don't see Jeremy Jason McCall doing here because he doesn't have the opportunity to because he's not confronted for being a, a, uh, a voluntary controller in front of people who are not. Um, but yeah, it's even more insidious now that's even more of a trap. Uh, but this is a this is the sort of foundation for that lesson of don't don't impedestal people. Don't don't lionize people to the point where you lose track of who they actually are. It's not good. Because then they say terrible things on the internet or try to get you to join a cult. Yeah, and then you find yourself defending them and you're like, wait, why am I why am I doing this? Like what what is Yeah. yeah it's bad. You think we're good? Yeah. Uh, I think so. Anyone else have any last minute thoughts? Let's wrap got, it up. Got plenty of material for the TA. Alrighty, uh, next week we're gonna be reading Animorphs Volume 13, The Change. Um, I think there's also a, uh, there's also a supplementary Animorphs journal, uh, it's the first of the Andalite Chronicles. We haven't been reading those, but maybe we will, I don't know, we haven't been reading those. We might get assigned them later. We might get assigned them later, they might be sort of like bonus extra credit or whatever, and maybe we'll tackle them. Unless Professor Leone and the TAs physically force me to read them, I'm not doing any more work than I have to. Fair enough, fair enough. So I guess next week we'll tackle Animorphs 13, The Change. Who, uh, who narrates that one? Oh, great question. Looks like Tobias! This was one of the ones that I read when I was a kid! Oh, you did? This was one of the ones that I read, like, a lot when I was a kid. I think the other one was the one on the cover that has Axe morphing into Philip from Out of State. Um, (laughs) I think that was the other one I read, but this was definitely one of the ones I read, so that's exciting. Wait a minute, Tobias is blonde! Who's this kid on the front cover? We'll get into that Um, later, we'll get into that later. A random model they got off the street, A rando. Terrible. (laughs) Alrighty. Stay safe, everyone. We'll, uh, yeah, hope to talk to you next week. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, talk to you next week. Stay safe. Stay safe. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. The Morph Report is now on Patreon. We care a lot about accessibility, and we want to provide transcripts for our podcasts. However, we are not able to keep up with the transcripts ourselves, for much the same reason that we care about accessibility in the first place. To help offset these costs, we have introduced two preliminary tiers on Patreon at a $2 and $5 level, and we are working on more. If you're interested in supporting us so that we can transcribe our episodes and also so that we can pay for our hosting fees on Pinecast, please look us up or follow the link in the episode description or on Twitter. Thank you. Stay safe. Thanks to Noelle McGarelli for the use of their song Comic Book Girl off the album Field Notes from Another Place and Complicated Spoon. You can find more of Noelle's music at noellemcgarelli.bandcamp.com or find a link in the show notes. The Morph Report podcast is hosted by Hamlet Cooper, Scrivener Lamb, Marina Malucci, and Blythe. You can follow us on Twitter at Morph Report. If you have a question for the Potomorphs, email us and we'll answer it on the show. Our email is themorphreport at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Stop in Armageddon like a